podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, good morning, everybody. We are getting ready to head back to Acts chapter 3, where we pick up where we left off some nine, ten weeks ago when we were so rudely interrupted. And so we are coming back to the book of Acts that explains how the gospel went from Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the world. And uh, the book of Acts just shows the 120 started with 120 believers. And that grew to 3,000. And that's the place we're at. We're still in Jerusalem with the gospel. And God is doing amazing work there. That's where we pick up. Let's uh, ask him for his blessing. Now, Father God, as we dive back in, this beautiful passage that really has such a wider, broader uh, teaching about the gospel. And uh, we find ourselves in the story there, in two different places, actually. And so, Father, we ask for eyes that can see, ears that can hear, and a heart that understands, not just to hear the word, but to hear it and do it so that we could be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone loves a feel-good story, don't you? I mean, especially in these gloomy days. Uh, I ran across one such story. Uh, A homeless man on a busy city street uh, without shoes, and a jogger passed by and took his running shoes off and gave them to him. And he walked away barefoot, and part of that got cut on video. And uh, that video went viral. A news agency tracked the beggar down for an interview. And the homeless man said, yeah, I'm so grateful. And by the way, I'm a good worker. uh, And I just need a second chance. And a restaurant owner who had been homeless himself uh, saw uh, the little video and gave the man a job. And the beggar was interviewed again, and he said, I didn't see all this goodness coming. I'm more than blessed. Now, this morning, in this passage here in Acts chapter 3, we're going to meet a beggar that probably felt the same exact way, and I wouldn't be surprised if he said the same exact words. There he sat, uh, really, most likely without shoes himself, because his feet And his ankles were gnarled after uh, 40 years of being crippled from birth, the Bible says. And in his case, it's not a random jogger. 
that, that runs by with an act of kindness, uh, but it's a deliberate act of faith by two believers who happen to be passing by Peter and John on their way to a prayer service. And uh, yeah, the, his life would be changed forever thanks to a little boldness on Peter's part plus a little faith on the beggar's part. Man's weakness and God's power and love collide. And boom, the man's life will never be the same. God's power always wins out, amen? As it did with you and me. A dramatic miracle, the first one of its kind, here in, recorded in the book of Acts. Let's dive in. Verse 1. <clears throat> one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. In the next chapter, we find out that he's in his 40s and had been lame since birth. He jumped to his feet, begins to walk. Then he goes with them through those gates into the temple courts, walking and leaping and praising God. It's so moving Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same guy who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so there it is, an amazing passage. And what's cool about these passages is, you know, there's always a wider, broader teaching about the bigger and greater work the cross, the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, to save us, to make us whole. So there's a lot going on in this passage. Now, this incident is going to cause quite a ruckus. And the crowd is amazed, as we just read. The man is leaping for joy. But the devil, not so much. Uh, there's always a pushback when the gospel goes forward. And you're going to see next week in the rest of the chapter and the following chapter that uh, it's true that no good deed goes unpunished, especially for Christians. We are light bearers in a world accustomed to darkness. And so when light goes forth, those who hate the light push back and try to extinguish that light. Jesus said this, the Son of God. He said, here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. So there are a lot of haters in the world and, and that are bothered by the light. 
And so they don't appreciate kindness done in Jesus' name, even if it's miraculous. Uh, they do their best to malign, to harass, to discredit, to snuff out that dreadful light that threatens their sin-loving life. And so, yeah, the world is okay uh, with good deeds done for other causes and done in other names, as long as the good deed doesn't provide evidence that there's a Lord who demands surrender of our lives, full allegiance, repentance, and moral accountability. Amen? So heads up, that's coming next week. Uh, the harassment, the threatening, uh, the mandates to stop speaking in Jesus' name, the flogging, all because of this one kind act to a beggar, which Peter and John really, really, they, they're involved, but it was God's idea to do it. It's God's power, it's God's will, and it's God's command that we listen to him and are prompted by the Holy Spirit when there's somebody in need who has saving faith. Uh, we don't even need that part of the information, but he gives us the green light. We share in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, live get up and walk. Yeah, so that's coming up, uh, but how about now? Not everybody's a hater as we've seen, and so the beggar, like everyone who has received a touch from heaven, is a pretty happy camper, isn't he? He's jumping up and down, trying out the new equipment, you know, it just, I, I wanna see that video in heaven for sure. I got to see that, the look on his face and how he was leaping, you know, just wonderful. And so let's walk through this miracle and uh, hear what it's teaching about us. As I said, we're, we're in his shoes in the beginning, and then we are the Christians in the story as well formerly lame beggars. And so uh, spiritually speaking, this is uh, what we're doing. Uh, the passage divides quite nicely if you're taking notes. Uh, number one, the sad condition of the man in verses one and two. The bold faith of Peter, verses three and seven, through seven, I should say. And then thirdly, we'll wrap up with the amazing power of the gospel. In the name of Jesus, get up and live. Amen. Yeah, so uh, here we go. We'll dive in. Thank you, Spence. Uh, this particular day, I'll paraphrase for you, uh, Peter and John are headed for the 3 p.m. worship service. Uh, verse 2, around that time, around that same time, in comes a guy who is born paralyzed from the waist down, uh, and they're, they're carrying him to his usual spot where he could do his usual thing, begging from those headed into the worship service. Smart guy, actually, <laughs> lay down right there. And so, okay, so what a difference a day makes with God. One, one minute, you're miserable, powerless, and lame, and the next thing you know, you're leaping for joy. That's the thing. It could, have gone, it could go on for 40 years. But he didn't wake up that morning and imagine leaping for joy with legs that work after 40 years. And neither do we realize when we woke up this morning, the possibilities with the living God in our lives. And so just never forget the difference one day can make. 
Amen? Interestingly, here we see that these two guys who are Jews, who are now Christians, Christian Jews, who are going to retain some of the Jewish traditions, though a lot has changed, and Jesus described Judaism now having done its job to produce the, the Messiah who would lay down his life for the sins of the world as being like an old tattered garment. It's done. It's done its job. Time for a new garment, right? And so, but some of the things they retained, like going to the 3 p.m. Uh, worship service. But uh, as far as their worship, it's going to move from Saturday to Sunday, the day of the Lord's resurrection. There'll be a distinction from Jews who believe in Messiah. They worship on Sundays. And the Jews who are still waiting for Messiah are still worshiping on the Sabbath. Now, you'll notice, as the commentators point out, that there's a difference between the 3 p.m. prayer service and the sacrifice. They don't go for the sacrifice. Why? Because that sacrifice that happened twice a day, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., is to prefigure Christ's sacrifice, right? And so these Christians now have met the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not only have they met him and watched the Lamb be sacrificed for the sins of the world, but they have his spirit in their hearts, raising them to new life, prompting them, talking to them, communing with them. So it would be rather pathetic for them to go sit through the sacrifice. But at 3 p.m., 3 p.m. was a significant hour for Christians and Christian Jews because it was the 3 p.m. hour that our Lord, the sacrifice, gave up his life and died, completing the work that he was sent to do. And at 3 p.m., the darkness that sat upon this earth from 12 noon to 3, there was a darkness that could be felt. And it lifted when he breathed his last saying, it is finished. Whoever's thirsty, let him come to me and drink freely from the waters of life and live forever. And so, yeah, they were going to prayer uh, now at 3 o'clock. And uh, there's another reason why these two collide, and this is the one miracle of the... In Acts chapter 2, it says many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles, and here's an example of one of them, right? And there's a reason why this is picked. It's picked because it leads to the persecution that's going to follow for the very first time against the Christian church. And it's also chosen because of its wider significance showing the greater work that Jesus promised Christians would do than him. He said, you see me raise the dead and open blind eyes, but greater work you'll do. Meaning, I'm going to send you out with the power and authority of Christ with the gospel that will raise a, a guy from the dead and he'll never have to die again, like Lazarus. It's a greater work, because from your mouth will come the authority and the power of the living God, and you will raise a spiritually lame, dead person, dead in their sins and trespasses. You will raise them, not you, of course, but he says, you will speak the words, and they will receive if they believe. 
eternal life. They'll be lifted up to a life that can never die, reconciled to God, co-heirs with Christ, reigning and ruling with him forever. That's greater than opening some guy's ears. And that's what Jesus uh, made clear. He, he made that clear with a guy who was lame in the Gospels, Mark chapter 2. His friends brought him on a stretcher. They couldn't get him in the house. That's my, probably my favorite story in the whole Bible. So they take him up to the roof. You know the story. They start digging and dirt's falling and, you know, and, and then suddenly you can see that there's a skylight there. And, and down comes this man on a stretcher. They lower him before Jesus and they wait for the big ta-da. And everybody's holding their breath. He's going to raise him up, a man, lame from birth as well. And Jesus lets them all down. He says, the priority here, son, your sins are forgiven. Boom. That's the priority. That's the miracle. That's the greater work. You're going to heaven. Who cares about your ankles, bro? But that you may know the greater work just got accomplished. I'll fix your ankles so that everybody can see the ankles and they understand, oh, the greater work, eternal life, reconciliation to God, no fear of death and judgment and shame and reprisal, the wrath of God, separation from life, in outer darkness, that's the greater work you guys have to do. It's not that he can't or doesn't heal. It's just there's something more important going on. And so, yeah, the lame man is a picture of you and me, of course, in, in the gospel story, um, spiritually speaking, human condition. We, like him, were born cripples, lame from birth, powerless, unable to stand, to walk in our lives, to work, to enjoy life as God meant it to be enjoyed. You know, born that way. He was born that way. And this whole born this way thing is irrelevant. It doesn't even matter how you were born. We are all born lame, spiritually speaking, and we have a, a variety of ways that that lameness manifests itself, right? But it doesn't really matter because Jesus said uh, it's not about the first birth. In order to get to heaven, you need to be born again, raised to new life, you see. So it's irrelevant, the first birth. And uh, if you're not born, if, if, if you're born once, you will die twice. The first death and what the Bible calls the second death. But if you're born twice... You'll only have to die once if you're not raptured, that is, because raptured people don't have to die. They're the one slice of human history who get to skip that awful experience. And just in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, says, a trumpet will sound, and we who are alive will be changed, fitted right then and there, and taken up to be to the place where Jesus has prepared for us to be. So, yeah, he's laying there crippled from birth. David says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And Ephesians 2 describes our pre 
Jesus days as being dead in sin. That's why, my friends, and you could tell people who think they're good enough, I'm more good than bad, so I'm going to heaven. No, you're dead. And so you're not good or bad. In God's eyes, the question is, were you made alive in this life by encountering somebody who said, hey, I don't have this or that, but I do have the gospel, so in the name of Jesus, live. And if you believed it, he raises you up and empowers you to new life. And so, yeah, uh, look at this guy. Um, he's smart. Uh, he knows the truth. Location, location, location. Look at verse 2. You know, at Trader Joe's, what do you think they picked Trader Joe's for? They picked Trader Joe's because they know you just stuffed your trunk with all of your favorite little goodies from your favorite little store, right? And so, you know, now look at me. I don't have any of those favorite little goodies, and you have them all right there. What would be so hard about you just handing one of those bags to me, you know, or whatever? So, but more than that... Park yourself outside of this parking lot and you will make bank. Why? They know. They understand. And so who doesn't want to feel good about themselves on the way into a worship service? Right? I mean, it beats feeling like a self-absorbed loser walking through the doors to meet with God. Amen? Hello out there. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Let me help you with, let me describe a, a Sunday morning, and you choose whether you would like to give alms or not. Uh, your children are conspiring against you, and no one's ready on time. Everybody's fighting that morning. Nobody can find their clothes. Uh, your blood pressure is going through the roof. You blow your stack. You can't find the car keys. You spill the coffee on your shirt. On the way to church, one of the spouses says, to the spouse driving, <laughs> you're speeding. And then the other spouse who's driving says, uh, duh, and I'm so stupid, I can't see that. I can't, I, I don't know how to read a speedometer, thank you. And then Siri says, arrived. And you're at church. And now you're ready to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. The beggar is thinking, wouldn't you want to just toss a few coins or a few dollars into my coffer here? Alms, by the way, comes from the Greek word mercy. Yeah, so he's probably big brown eyes calling out. He's been there for years, calling out Proverbs. Why wouldn't you? The Proverbs, I can just hear him say, those who give to the poor will lack nothing. But those, but and that's what I'm reading the proverb. <laughs> beggars are smart okay they have to be their lives depend on it those who give to the poor will lack nothing but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses Proverbs 28 verse 27 <laughs> it's there oh there's another one <clears throat> whoever's kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. He's not making that up. Because I'm quoting the scriptures they had and loved. You see, 
Now, who wouldn't want to? Right before you go in, toss some money in there. Now, by the way, every time you give uh, to the Lord's work here, you're giving to the poor because that's a slice of what we do. We give to the Redwood Gospel Mission. We support uh, these kinds of ministries that deal with poor people all over the world. We make sure that we feed those in India that we're preaching the gospel to. They also, they get help uh, with their rice and their grains and their goats and all of that. And so that's what I recommend. I, do, I wouldn't give a homeless person a dime because you're perhaps enabling the addiction and the bad behavior. Instead, I'll ask, are you hungry? You want some food? Do you need a jacket? Those are ways you can deal with that little epidemic that seems to be uh, growing ever more every day. Now, the same book of Proverbs says, money's great and giving is a must, but money can be deceptive and dangerous and it has its limits. It says, whoever trusts in riches will fall, you see? And so one commentator put it so nicely when he said, so we see this man, typical of so many of the world, spiritually lame. We, sinners, like him, mistakenly look first to temporary worldly fix. If only we had more money, that's the answer. Alms, alms, alms. If only the new relationship, a different job, a new spouse. Uh, sorry. I, I thought that was funny. Uh, 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 a relocation, hoping these things might heal the paralysis and empower us and give us the strength for a life we, we so desire, that abundant life. But nothing can give you abundant life like the source of life. And if you're disconnected from the source of life, how can you have a meaningful existence? How can you even know why you're here? If you don't know the one who made you, you'll never know your purpose. You can't ever know your purpose unless you know the one who designed you for a reason. And so, yeah, this is what's going on here. And so he's looking for a few coins, but he's going to find Christ instead. Okay, so time to move on. A little boldness from Peter. Let's take a look at it. Spencer, three through six. When he sees Peter and John, of course, Peter and John are famous. The whole Pentecost thing just happened. This guy probably wasn't a believer when Jesus walked by him lots of times. And he didn't get healed in the Gospels because he didn't have saving faith, question mark. But now the day of Pentecost has come, he's heard Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. He's been there. He's an eyewitness to 3,000 Jews getting saved and baptized there in front of those courts. Splash in the water, he can see that far. They carry him by there. So did he come to faith? He's ready now. That's, that's what, he's, he's just ready. And God is going to ready the beggar and ready his two representatives. You'll see this now. So he's hoping for something. Peter's drawn to him. Peter sees him. And so does John. Look at that. It's just strange language. Because God's working. The Holy Spirit, that's what he does with Christians. You know, you think you're on your way to the prayer service, and then God's like, look, look, look over there. Look, look. 
And Peter's like, whoa, you know when that happens. It happens to me all the time. It just is the way God directs ministry to happen. We're always like, it's from A to B that matters. The Lord's like, go through the Gospels and see all the things that happen on the way. That's where life happens, on the way. And if you're oblivious and you're just thinking, it's all about the prayer meeting, time, 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 you're going to miss the beggar. You're going to miss it out, miss and, and miss out, I should say. So Peter locks eyes on him, and so does John. Peter yells out, fix your gaze up here. Another thing, Peter's dealing with the Holy Spirit. Lord, is it you? Is this you? Is this the prompt? Is this me? Is this what's going on? He needs that time. He's checking things out. Verse 5, the man gives him full attention, anticipating something big. Verse 6, then Peter announces, we don't have silver or gold right now. They have access to it. Acts chapter 2, everybody's laying their resources at their feet. And biblically speaking, the elders are in charge of finances that come in to support the work of the gospel. They have access. He's just saying, at the moment, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and true, I don't have any coins on me at the time, but that's not the big deal. I'm being prompted to give you something greater, my friend. And so Peter announces, as he turns his pockets inside out, we don't have the coins, but we have something else we can gift you. Let me give you, because you can't earn it, but it can be gifted to you if you believe. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, man, get up and walk. Yeah, so a little boldness from Peter. Okay, a lot of boldness, all right? And if you think Peter didn't struggle with being bold, guess again. This is a man who gets intimidated easy. He's been intimidated. He has buckled in fear. He has not been bold. He's been bold in all the wrong ways, right? And then in Galatians 2, Paul the Apostle has to out him and say, oh, by the way, I had to rebuke Peter to his face. Because when the Jews came from Jerusalem, Jewish so-called Christians, who still believed that it wasn't kosher to eat with non-Jews at the table, Peter, out of the peer pressure, was not bold enough to say, hey, fellas, come on. It's the New Testament. Uh, it's time to eat with the Gentiles who love the Lord and are filled with God's spirit. He doesn't do that. He's not bold. Instead, he sits only he gets up from the Gentile table and sits only with the Jews. And Paul says, bro, what, uh, what kind of weak sauce Christian are you? You know, he probably didn't say that exact phrase. So I, I think we excuse ourselves from needing to be bold, which no Christian who's ever going to do anything from, for God must grapple with getting over our fear of rejection, fear of rolled eyes, fear of causing trouble, fear of getting fired, fear, 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 fear. They won't like me anymore. Can we just go and walk by the Jewish hostility, the Jewish leaders filled with hostility are watching these guys in the temple, the same guys that put Jesus to death, the same guys who are going to see what happens. And as a result of what they do, if they're going to throw him into prison. 
and flog them. So there's always a threat. And you don't think he had to kind of deal with that. We all have to deal with it. Everybody has to deal with. Look at Paul the Apostle, Ephesians chapter 6. Pray also for me that I mean I can open my mouth boldly. Pray that I may declare without fear as I should. You don't ask people, please pray for me because I'm filled with this already and I have it. You pray, pray for me because I'm missing it. I struggle with it. Paul the Apostle. So welcome to the club and don't excuse yourself. Well, they can do bold things because they're Peter, James, and John and Paul the Apostle. No. Every single time you take a stand for God in this fallen world, you are going to have some sort of pushback or threat or some kind of fear like, oh, no. And we have to get over that. Timidity and fear, you allow that? For me, I look at the person and if I feel like God is saying, dude, you got an open door here. Speak. Say it. Use the name. I picture them drowning. I picture them on fire. I picture them ready to die. And that helps me. Because that is bigger than my desire to be well received. It just is. Because you know what? I actually believe the scriptures. I believe the scriptures that he who has the son has life. He, he who doesn't have the Son, quoting Jesus, shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on them. So I just picture when God, and when it's appropriate, and I'm like, my heart is beating, and it's quickened, and, and it's like, look at me, what, what's happening here? You know, and God's going, green light, green light, green light. I just picture the wrath of God, and Jesus saying, I help them, help them. That's bigger than, oh no, they're not going to like me. Amen? Amen. All right. You've got your thinking faces on. (laughs) Right. So notice with me. Now let's talk about how God does this. He stops them. He gets his attention. Peter's now looking at him. He's thinking, why am I staring at him? Why am I feeling that heaviness? Why is my heart racing? You all know this. This is how he works, how he gets you to probably invite someone to church if you're not a great evangelist or to pray for somebody or to see that God is up to something and wants to do something. And so he says, look at us. I mean, it's in there for a reason. Uh, God, He's trying to figure out the prompt there. And so uh, that's how it goes, that God wants to, to, to get us ready and all of that. And so he, he's, he sees the green light flashing, and he wants to see if this is God's will or not. And he determines, yeah, I'm going to go for it. So, yeah, we were walking around the block when I was just convalescing from my terrible intubation time with pneumonia. And uh, I get out, and I'm walking the big loop in my neighborhood with two other pastors my walking buddies for the day. We're talking and we're having conversation. And up coming into range is a guy who's kind of limping with one crutch down to his mailbox. While we're talking, my attention is riveted on him and my heart is pounding. And I'm like, okay, here we go. 
I don't say anything to the guys. We're still talking, but God is doing his thing. That heebie-jeebie thing, that is this you, God? Okay, God, if I get up to the, I already had the conversation, the whole conversation in my head of, hey, you're convalescing. And then he's going to tell me what's up with his knee. It's bandaged and the crutch. And then I'm going to tell him I'm convalescing too. And then I'm going to tell him my story and how God has been helping me. And that's exactly, but only if he's in range. Because if he's not in range, you look like a crazy man. Hey, you up there, (laughs) come back down. No, 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 no. But if we just happen to be passing by and we both look up at each other and that's exactly what happened. And so I'm like, hey, convalescing, huh? Boom, in. He just wants to pour out his whole story and talk about even his life and his struggles and all of this just coming out. And I said, hey, man, I'm convalescing too. And I tell him about the story. Oh, that's amazing. And I'm like, well, I got the Lord in my life too. And what comfort. I mean, the scripture keeps coming to mind. I'll say the scripture. But I'm talking about what blessed me. And then at the end of the conversation, can we pray for you? He says, absolutely. So we pray for him. So many scriptures got sown in this guy's heart. And he was so happy to receive us and hobbled back up with his mail and his crutch and all of that. And I can just hear his testimony in years to come or months to come or tomorrow. When he says, yeah, I had been this and God, you know, had a Christian girlfriend in high school. You know, testimonies, you know, and then I wandered away and I went to a youth camp once and blah, blah, blah. And then right in the midst of my convalescing and I'm so depressed about my knee, three pastors show up at my mailbox (laughs) and want to pray for me, right? See, at least now the Holy Spirit can take that and work it and work it and work it. And our hands are, are clean. We, we, we walked by and we weren't just like, we're going to ignore this guy. And so that's how it works, right? Why doesn't God do that with me might be your question. And I, I'll give you the answer right now. You have to be aware. You have to be on call. Instant, in season and out. you got to have this desire in there like God, I, I mean, the radar's on. And I'm just listening. I'm going through my day doing the normal stuff. And if you drop something on me, I'll start to pursue it. I'll look for a green green light, green light. And, you know, you're thinking, well, what if it's me? What if it's me? Let me assure you, your sinful nature would never want to do that, right? Your nature doesn't want to stand up and, and speak for Christ, so don't give yourself that much credit. I hate to say that. <laughs> well, what if it's me and my compassionate heart? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just think if God is, he just kind of lights the way. And look, saddest words of tongue or pen are these. It could have been. What if they just walked by? Who? What? What person is being shut out of this beautiful experience because you're not on call. You're just doing your own life. And God would have to use a sledgehammer. <clears throat> and sometimes he does, amen? All right, I think you get this. But being gifted in that one 
name, the one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. It's like unleashing the authority and power of God to save. And all they need is a mustard seed of faith and kapow. Amen? You know anybody who needs it? Do you know anybody who's lame? No, no. <laughs> let's bring it. We have the answer. Okay, let's take a look at the last paragraph and we'll be done. Peter tells him in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Peter grabs him by the hand and helps him to his feet. And in a split second, the power of God comes upon him. His lame ankles and feet become strong. He springs to his feet, starts walking. Then he joins Peter and John walking through the gate. You know, cripples were not allowed through the gate. First time. So he doesn't say, thanks for the miracle. I'm out of here. You never allowed me in the first time. You know, you didn't accept me for who I really was. You know, so now I'm going to go live my life, you know, and take his life and, and leap out. But no, he goes into worship, praising God with the believers. That's where you're going to find him. Jumping, leaping, praising God. Everyone's watching this guy leaping around and praising God. They all recognize him. That's important. Remember the guy who was born with blind and probably without eyes. And when Jesus healed him, now he has eyes. And people said, it's not him. It just looks like him. They couldn't recognize such a change. I mean, to go from no eyes to eyes, that's a big deal. But this guy, he's been there. They pass him twice a day, several times. They know him. They recognize him, and they're stunned. Now, being stunned, you know, you might think everyone got saved. They didn't. There's a lot of people who admire and affirm the work of God in others, but they'll always say, I'm so happy for you. They love that for you part just over and over again, just sending the signal. I'm so happy. I don't speak against you. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not insulting you. I'm not taking a stand on whether or not it's true or not. I'm just saying I'm so pleased for you. Now, here's what I tell those people. I say, you know what? When you're standing before God at the end of your life, and you will, you will die and you will stand before God. And you can tell him. Hey, God, I was so happy for Ross. You know, I, I just don't think that's going to help you on that day. Oh, I was so happy. You know, oh, I love to tell the story about the church. We had no money. I was on disability. We had no support at all. And now there's this functioning church with three services and blah, 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 blah. And they're always like, oh, wow. See, like the crowd, amazed. Wow, that's amazing. Good for you. I'm happy for you, you see. So they're, they're, at least they're happy and not, you know, right? Not throwing rocks or tomatoes, right? And so, but it takes more than saying, I'm passively happy for the Christian country and the good work that you Christians do and you guys always uh, blah, blah, blah. Not going to help you one bit on Judgment Day because God's going to ask you, well, 
How about me? So the man is raised to new life with a little help from his friends there. They grab onto him. It's a strong word. So what's going on? Why is it in the text? Ah, one writer. Don't miss this little tiny detail and error in your evangelism efforts. We preach the good news and we help those responding to their feet to get up and established in their life. We don't just preach at people. Oh, you're saved now. You know, struggle to your feet. Learn the new life all by yourself. No, we help. We grab them and say, come on, let's do this together. God's power is giving you the life, but you've got me to lean on. you got me to help steady you. I've been a Christian a while. In fact, I used to be lame like you. So let me help you. Just it reminds me of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and, and the guy comes out in grave clothes and Jesus says, Go unwind him. Go take his grave clothes off and set him free. He needs a helping hand, people. And so the culture of death is still kind of hanging on the guy. And Christians are the ones who are able to say, hey, 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 yeah, no, we don't do that. We do this. And, and uh, let me help you get started with your Christian life. And so, yeah, he gets some help there. And instantaneously, sometimes God works in gradual ways. So don't think that God always has to strike with lightning. Sometimes he does, though. Remember when he healed another blind man, Jesus, and he's done praying for him. And the guy says, um, I, see I see people like trees. And Jesus says, OK, let me do this again. And he prayed over him. Now, do you think Jesus was like running out of power or yeah, yeah, no, he's doing something. He's saying sometimes it's boom and other times it's like I'm seeing, I think, and it's blurred and I need another touch and he gets another touch and boom, that was it, right? But this dude, one day, one second, his ankles and feet not been used in 40 years. Can you imagine what they look like? ungroomed beggar. It went from the ugliest thing you can imagine, twisted and deformed, to healthy, robust-looking feet, ankles, and legs. No wonder the guy's trying it out. He keeps bouncing around like he's never bounced. Look, how sad. And, and it's always those who have suffered a lot in their former days that are the most joyful, most dedicated Christians of all. For 40 years, he's drug himself around in his impotent life, having to be carried everywhere. What a great pain to his parents in their hearts. The parents are probably still alive and are in on this joy if he's 40. Their pain, knowing something was wrong with their baby, never learning to walk, couldn't play with the kids, always on the sideline. And you don't think he was an object of great, great ridicule? And now in one second, they're healed. And in through the gates for the first time, he goes. A lot of writers said the gate's beautiful, not just because it was Corinthian bronze and it was called beautiful because of its ornateness, but because prophetically speaking, God knew it's the place of the greatest, most beautiful work on the planet of redeeming 
God coming down, giving the authority to, to sinful people like us, giving him giving us God's own authority who spoke and the universe came into existence. He gives us that authority to unleash the power of the gospel, the power of God to save, to make whole, to raise a man from the dead and give him a new life. We've got to seriously take our honor seriously that he would entrust us. He could have entrusted the angels But instead he said, no, the only way somebody will come to know me and experience the power of Christ is faith comes through hearing. So somebody is speaking, somebody who's willing to be bold, willing to be sensitive to the prompt of the Holy Spirit, looking, starting a day, God, use me today. I promise you, you want to see something dramatic? I promise you, send me somebody your way who needs ministry. That's a prayer. Well, God will just say, uh, done. Give me an opportunity to share with somebody today. And then you're looking and you're waiting and you're praying. Where are they? Where are they? Boom, they show up. They do. They always show up. And that's what we need to do. Yeah, so what a marvel. Everyone recognizes him. And proper praise You know, um, I'll close out with this. Uh, In Acts 14, similar story. There's another lame dude, but this is in Turkey in a place called Lystra. And Paul is preaching, and there's a lame guy from birth laying there. And it says Paul recognized, looked at him, and realized he had saving faith. So he looked at him, and he said, hey, you. And he looked at him, in the name of Jesus, get up. And the guy got up. And the crowd didn't praise God. They praised the men and called Paul Zeus and his partner Hermes and went to sacrifice bulls to them. So this dude, he gets up, you know, in the crowd he doesn't kiss Peter's ring, you know. He doesn't. They don't. They don't sing praises to uh, the the vehicles of God's power. Uh, he realizes they're just uh, um, instruments through which the power and goodness of God uh, can flow. And so, yeah. Um, so as we wrap up, this is uh, my takeaway here: the world has lost its way. I don't recognize this world. I really don't, and nor do you. Where's the joy? Where's the, you know, three years ago, I thought we were in the last times, but I had no idea it was this bad. (laughs) No, three years ago, I'd take three years ago, like, it would be paradise compared to now. Where is the joy? Where's the hope? Where's the, you can't go anywhere in the world without controversy and division and, and, and people in families broken up and all kinds of political corruption, the likes that this whole earth has never seen before. And news report after news report of this world is ready to, to implode. <laughs> and we have been given the power and the authority by God to raise up lame people in the midst of a world imploding. 
And if you're not paying attention, you're going to get distracted with all of the misery and all of the oddities and all of the I can't believe this is happening stuff instead of the person sitting there lame saying alms, alms, alms. And now you can say when you hear it and God says, hey, give them something more than what they're asking for. Give them the gospel. Will say, you look, look at me in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Live. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gospel and the honor that you would give sinful, broken men and women like us. Thank you for trusting us. We pray, God, that you would show us those who are ready to hear the gospel. They're just the seed planted. Help us to just get excited about being ready for you instant, in season and out, and so excited about the power, the potential that could rock this world in such a dark place as it is just to bring some joy and happiness and get people on the lifeboat we thank you God redirect us fill us with that excitement and help us to remember this during the week in Jesus name amen you've been listening to the rocks podcast Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.